Hi, this is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations. And um, we, as always, have some very interesting and informative guests. Um, so I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, some of them are fun and some of them have just really important information to share. We've done about, I don't know, close to 3,000 interviews now over the years. And I think um, people tend to appreciate the, the information they're getting from us. So here goes for today. Um, hi, everybody. We are here with two remarkable artists who um, are very much of our um, culture in this area and are being recognized by Ashe um, uh, for their accomplishments. And they are included in Ashe and CAC's presentation called Pop Up for the Culture which is, yeah. um, start, has been going on on the Saturdays. And the last Saturday is this Saturday. So if you want to buy art for um, giving, and uh, our organization, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans, has a campaign called Give Art. We want folks to think about giving art of our practitioners here instead of buying stuff through Amazon. I buy nothing through Amazon. I don't need to make that guy any richer. He's the richest man in the entire universe. Um, so we want people. <laughs> buy local and we want them to buy art. So um, we want to see people come to the Ashe Center this Saturday between 12 that we're visiting with right now are Jessica Strahan. Raise your hand, Jessica. There she is. And um, do you pronounce your, your name, Jantel? Jantel Pedesclo or Pedesclo, depending upon where you are in New Orleans. Uh, well, <laughs> Pettisglow, I'm familiar with because I know um, she must be related to you, but the quilt maker, Pettisglow, years, I love her. Yeah, and I love your first name, your first name is, uh, do you pronounce it Gentilly or Jantel? It's Gentile. Gentile, okay. Um, these gals are accomplished artists. Chantel, um, let me start with you because you've been uh, heavily involved uh, over time with uh, Ashe, and I want to talk about how that's developed and why, and how that relates to your artwork. So, um, you well, have, uh, I'm actually the curator of the oh, so I work in that capacity of it, right? And the work that you see displayed behind me is actually Jessica's work that we have displayed here on site at the Ashe Cultural Arts Center. So what we did was we developed a program and a series of pop-ups that would help our local artists, right? To get their names out there so they can be able to generate income. We know we're in the pandemic now, so it's been a little tough for everybody. So we decided to pull together, put on our thinking caps and our, pull our creativity together to be able to provide these um these amazing pop-ups for everyone and when i tell you they have been going extremely extremely well they've been so successful that we're actually going to start back up in january oh so this could become a regular program and i i really think that's a good idea we've been doing some videos of artists on our website for the same purpose of promoting sales and we started it for COVID. We actually had started it years ago and then we just couldn't keep it up, but uh, we're gonna keep doing it too. We just really think we have so much great art being made in New Orleans right now. And people need to know about the fact that it's affordable too, because I think a lot of people read those stories in the papers about those million dollar um, uh, art things that sell in New York to people who don't know what to do with their money when um, in fact, there's a lot of work being made here that's affordable. Is that not true for the work that you're showing, uh, Gentile? Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Definitely affordable. And it's a good way to start. If you're a beginning collector, I'm a collector myself. If you are a beginning collector, this is an amazing way to start off a collection, definitely. You wanna make sure that you're getting those fresh, new, hot pieces, especially the ones that Jessica has. They are amazing. She has, I know she can talk more about her baby than I can, but um, for starters, I know we have people who are, she has amazing people who have started collecting her pieces. I know you probably heard of Tank. Tank is a collector. Even, oh, um, ooh, what is the of Tank? Are you kidding? I have her on the radio show. She was proud. <laughs> So she's a collector. That's that's um, that that's that's good. When you got the stars 
collecting you and she is a star now. Well, you're going to become a star too. So um, then let me switch for a minute to you, um, Jessica. Why don't you tell me a little bit about um, your work? And we've talked a little bit before, but um, tell me uh, exactly um, how you see your art kind of on the spectrum of work being done in the city. How would you describe yourself in relation to and independent of other art being made in New Orleans? Um, I'm a, it's good seeing you again, too. You had a great conversation last time. Uh, how to describe my work, that's hard. That's really hard, but I can say I'm a one of one. Um, you can travel anywhere in the city, probably the world, and you're not going to find uh, my art or my style of art. It comes, it comes from within, and uh, I feel like people from New Orleans have a distinctive look, like bone structure and eyes and things like that. You could travel around the world and you know that person is from, just by looking at them, they're from New Orleans. And I feel like uh, that's the same way when you look at my work, like, oh, just did that piece. How, how um, and Jessica, uh, I know we talked about this once before, but let's, for the purposes of today's interview, um, remind me uh, essentially how you got started making art and, and parents often discourage their um, uh, children from uh, thinking about an art career because it is so challenging in their view. Um, but then finally they come to realize that this is so much a part of who you are and what you wanna do that that's gonna be um, a successful um, uh, venture and, and way of living for you. But tell me about your beginnings. Oh, I woke up like this. I, I've never been to school for it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to school. It's, it's always been a feeling uh, within, something that I felt that I had to get out. Um, and then, I would I would draw on like the back of ditto paper. I would draw everywhere I go. We'll be we'll be in the car. I'm in the back seat drawing. We'll be the children will be outside. I'm in the kitchen or in the room. I'm drawing all the time. And uh, I was show my family or whoever I was around. I was showing my pictures, and they were like, "You did that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I I did this." And um, I just always had the support of who I was around. They'll psych me up. And I think that's very important when you're, you know, younger. To, for somebody to tell you, oh, this good, and get a, get a great compliment, it encourages you to keep going. Like, I don't feel like if, if I had that type of, if I didn't have that support, I probably would have, probably. I won't say yeah for sure, but I probably wouldn't have drawn as much or did it as much. But that played a major role in um, me continuing to. I'm driving, so I'm 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 behind contact a little <laughs> off. I'm trying to make sure I'm trying to make sure I don't get no tickets or nothing. But right. um, yeah, I'll we, send them to your office. I'll send them to your office if I do. Okay, send them to me. But I'm, I'm gonna send it to you. Um, but yeah, just having that support, and then I never stopped. I just never. I just kept going. I kept the feeling never uh went away. That feeling that you have that I have to get out that creative niche. That feeling within it never left, and um, that's why I am where I am. So um, I think uh, um, it doesn't hurt to get a nice award such as you recently got from the Hellas Foundation. And I think another encouraging uh, fact in the de development of an art career, of course, is selling your work. And that's why I think it's so important, uh, Gentile, that you're doing this program of trying to make sure that artists are, are selling their work. How many artists do you have in the... Uh, uh, show that you're doing um, this Saturday? Well, currently we have up to five artists um, currently on our roster, yes. And they all bring a different flavor. 
to that pot of gumbo, which we need, right? right. I have my crabs and I have my turkey necks and I have my sausage <laughs> and I have my chicken and we all have this special <laughs> room that we put together. So we put them all together in this good big pot of gumbo and we have these really talented, amazing, amazing artists. Tell me a little yeah. bit about some of the work besides uh, Jessica's. Give me a little bit more description on a couple of them. There is a gentleman by the name of Gasson. He does these amazing masks and he's also a photographer as well. He has really, really attractive work. It's stunning. It's a jaw dropping, eye popping work. We also have an artist by the name of Charlie B who is an amazing guy. He is also the art teacher at Joseph S. Clark School. So his work is really, really phenomenal. He's been in the game for a very long time as well, too. And we also have some upcoming artists that we're going to be featuring here on, on this upcoming Saturday, as a matter of fact, some new artists. Yes. Who's the, who are they? So it's a gentleman uh, who is new to our um, Ashe family, I would like to say, because he actually reached out to me by the name of Jermico. So he, he's also going to have some work uh, featured here at our For the Culture pop-up shop. I, I um, you know, the Ashe facility is such a great venue for art, always has been. And yes, I yes, always... I like to consider um, this a creative hub. Right, and I've always, um, I always hark back to um, the words of Carol B. Bell because she's such a philosophical thinker, right? And she always emphasizes that it's not just about the culture, it's about community. And mm -hmm. she's always emphasized the extent to which Ashe is not just an art center and, and it's not just, but you know, an art center, but also a community uh, gathering uh, place for people to really um, endorse and, and uh, reflect um, uh, our community as well. Your community, our community, um, uh, we're all a part of it. So um, I, I'm, I'm thrilled with what you're doing with this. And, um, and I know that uh, this has been a difficult time to, to mount a show. There's nothing easy about anything right now. So um, I didn't, you know, again, when we did our video program, we were just doing it in, in, in concern, out of concern that too many venues were closed mm -hmm. because it's so hard to be open right now uh, because yeah. of COVID. So I assume you have some kind of um, protocol for the safety of people coming into the exhibit as well. Is that right? Absolutely. We definitely have safety protocol because we want to ensure that our people are protected and that they're staying healthy as well as our staff and those who are going to come in and shop and buy. So of course, we definitely are following safety protocol. Um, Jessica, tell me a little bit about how COVID has um, affected your work. And uh, both of you tell me how you feel like we're going to come out of this. Because um, one of the things we had a big call yesterday with leaders from all the different sectors in the city, not just the arts and there was a lot of discussion about, you know, sort of edging towards next um, late spring, summer, fall, as we come, uh, as we start to emerge out of this, um, we have a chance to kind of um, redefine um, the role that arts plays in our city and in an economy. So I'm just curious to see how you're feeling about it and how you feel um, when we come out the other end of this you know, how is your work going to uh, reflect um, this year that we've been through this horrible 2020 on so many levels, political, social, um, and health? All right. You want to go, Jess, or would you like for me to go? You can go first. Well, it definitely has affected us in so many ways than just one, especially by me um, working as the docent here. Of course, we I miss giving the tours and having that interaction with people, with children, with um, people who will come in and support our organization. So that's kind of put a damper on things, but of course the show must go on. So we find other ways to be able to curate things, to be able to continue to hold up our social ends of what we do here at Ashe Center. 
But um, on the other side of it, look, I can't wait. I'm, I'm like everybody else. I can't wait until this is all over with so we can get back into the game like we used to be and enjoy that in-person spirit, the spirit of exchanging ideas and exchanging creative creativity with one another and just basically taking them on the amazing tour here of the space, you know? But um, do you feel like um, it's, it, you know, some people debate, are we going to go back to normal or are we going to a new normal? How, how do you think about that? My whole thing is not, now here's the kicker with me. Your question was, are we going to go back to normal or do we have a new normal? My question is, what is normal? Because <laughs> your normal. Good question. Good question. Right. Your norm might be different than my norm. So if we're talking about going back to the way things used to be, then of course that would be great. But in the event we have to embrace a new quote unquote norm, then that's what we will probably have to do. I think a lot of people that I've been talking with, and I've done now about 50 interviews with people in creative fields for our study that we're doing on a strategic plan for mm -hmm. the creative economy. I hear most people saying that um, they they feel that um, the the mix of online and in person uh, is changed. We're not going to be all online, of course, ever. I should hope, but we there is going to be more of a mix, and that for those people who've been doing things online, they are reaching this this audience from afar, so to speak, you know, uh, branching out of our region. So we have both our in-town market, but we also are reaching uh, further out. So uh, that's something that I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing that we're- no, I don't consider it to be a bad thing at all. I think um, that's the perk of it, of the whole hybrid thing that we have going on with in-person and also via, via online, the good thing is we can reach out to a much broader audience. And that's what we want. We want to we want to be able to captivate more people. We want to be able to engage more people. So that is the pro to that. But the con to it is we still, you have to understand, we are uh, humans and we thrive off the sense of touch. We thrive off our senses. So we want to be able to feel, we want to be able to touch, we want to be able to smell. So that's the thing that, you know, that missing little link sometimes that we have. But I'm not opposed to hybrid at all. How about, how do you feel about that, uh, Jessica? I mean, um... No, again, uh, I think that without a doubt, more people are going to see, for example, your new mural that's going up in the Central Business District in the, in the Legacy Park. More people are going to see that because of our expanded presence online than would have just passing it or going to it here in the city. So uh, I, I guess that's not a bad thing. And at the same time, of course, you, you hope um, to have more contact with people um, as you did, a part of your, uh, as I understand, as a part of your preparation for the mural, you worked with a young artist, with young student artists for um, kind of harvesting ideas from them that went into your work. Yeah, I did. It's, it's different. It's a, I don't know if I could fully adjust or if anyone will fully adjust to um, distance, distancing yourself. It's in whenever we come back, if we do come back, it's still gonna be you still gonna be hesitant in person because you see somebody you haven't seen in a long time and you like, you know, naturally you want to embrace them. That we just we those type of people in New Orleans, yeah. right? So it's kind of like you you going against your nature, yeah. like hey, how you doing? That's 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 a natural thing here. So just to be like, oh wait, hold up, you know, it's kind of rude. In a sense, but um, I don't, I don't. For sales, it's been it's been a the most challenging year ever because I'm a um event based artist, so I'm set up. Yeah, so all the events canceled. So the income, I'm probably start uh making fries or something selling uh, frozen cups or something. Okay. 
for sale, for sales, but uh, if anything, I know just being from here, um, we know how to survive and we know how to make uh, the best out of any situation. You and know, that's, and that's what's keeping us. That's what's keeping us afloat. You know, I I I, I was watching. I, I've been a a, a total um, junkie for cable television during this whole political era that we've been that's been so horrifying and yet you know it's like watching horror movies you can't stop watching to see what's going on and how it's going to unfold so uh, I watch a lot of it and um, I, I saw these images of these lines and lines and lines of cars for, for food banks and I'm thinking why don't we have those here and uh, to that extent that you see them in some other places and I'm thinking you know We've had poverty and, and food uh, need more so than most places over the years. And we've learned how to work with our friends and family and neighbors, our village to help. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, but tell me I'm wrong because I don't really know. I just, I live in Treme, but I, I haven't seen the lines like I've seen on TV and other places. So am I wrong in saying that we've kind of figured, as you said, we've learned how to survive. We've learned resilience because we've been through a lot in this city. This city has gone through one disaster of, of, of an, of an, uh, after another of different kinds of political, social, um, the storms and, and, um, and now COVID, the health uh, challenges. Um, I, I think in a way we are a little bit more uh, how to deal with these disasters for sure yeah you agree with me on that or yeah I mean or am I blind to it no, no we're, not blind. we're not no definitely not blind to it you have to understand that we are natural born survivors you know it's in our blood we're going to always right. be um, getting the family together is something that is like you would say, norm. That is our norm. We pull from that. We are family-oriented people. You know, we are community-oriented people, regardless, pre-pandemic. You know, um, you have to understand, even think about it on Sundays, the first thing that come to my mind are, are the second lines. You know, we pull together, and that's what we that's what we do. We are people that just, we're gonna, we going to stand the test of time. I never forget someone asked me, I'm gonna use the tree as an example. We are, you know, we are the palm trees. Like you want, even though we have a bunch of oak trees here, but we as the people, as the community, we are palm trees. Why? Because we bend, but we don't break. You understand? So okay, that, I, understand. I have to tell you, someday you're gonna to have to come by my house. My house is right next to the house of the Free People of Color Museum. Okay. If Next door, you're going to see a, a garden that is completely covered in Chinese fan palms. I didn't quite understand how big they grow and how many babies they have. They own my garden. And when it, the wind blows, like last night, and they're all swaying in the wind, it's like, oh, my God. They bend, they bend but they don't break. And that's how we are exactly. as a people. We bend, but we don't break. We come, we bounce back stronger. Like I said, it's just in our blood. It's what we do. Thanks. You want to join on that, Jessica? No, I, I agree. I strongly agree with Gentile. Well, we, we naturally survivors. So how do you we see us coming survive. out of this then? What... Um, uh, let, let, let's look at that fall. What, what, how do you see a fall in New Orleans when uh, hopefully by then a lot of us will have gotten the vaccines and I'm sure you guys are vaccine proponents, right? right? Mm -hmm. uh, kind of quiet on the I'm, other I'm, I'm allergic to vaccines, but um, I feel like we're going to come out strong. Okay. We, 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 you look at it, if I, if I had to reference something like the, the Saints, New Orleans Saints, right? Mm -hmm. I don't care how many games 
they lost. They they let people down so much, but you still in the in the stands cheering them on. Like I feel like that's how we handle our uh, challenges here. It doesn't matter. Like we're gonna get through this. It's all in the mind. If you know, if you think, if you think about surviving and and we gonna be all right, then we gonna be all right. Right. I'm, I'm not about to. I'm not. I'm not going. I I have um. Two, two last questions. So how about the kids? You know, there's a lot of news coverage now about how the kids at home are weathering the isolation of uh, those who are not in school, who are homeschooling right now, that mm-hmm. this is going to be, uh, this has been difficult for them and it's going to continue to be. How, what's your feeling about our creative youth? How are they dealing with all this? Gentile, I see well, you say something. Oh. I feel like the, the youth that I'm surrounded around, they're actually thriving because we have programs here. We have a program here called um, Kumba, and we actually give those the children an opportunity to express their creativity. We just rolled out a, or rolling out, I should say, a, a cookbook that our kids uh, have done. So we are giving, as long as we're giving them, them those creative outlets, and that's our responsibility as a parent or as the guardian giving them those opportunities to be able to express their creativity, they will, they will be fine because you have to also understand too, they're a little bit more tech savvy than we are. So it's an equal exchange. True? Yes, so it's an equal exchange. So they're very tech savvy. Some of us are not as tech savvy as our youth are, but it is an equal exchange because we're providing them those creative outlets and providing them with the opportunities to be able to showcase their talent, showcase their work and just be the creative young adults that they are. And they are in some ways growing up faster than we did because of their exposure uh, through online uh, media. I saw um, Jessica, you wanted to say something on this too. Oh, I just was saying it. the, the, how the children respond will be how the adults respond. Right. If the adults panic, the children might panic. I've I've support we've been we've been having talent shows at home. Um we go outside as much as we can right. just to get those creative juices flowing. So if, if if the adults around nurture that, the children will do the same. I have two uh, last questions. So one, um oh how do you how, how do you feel um, we are, uh, if the substance of our work has changed and, and will change. And then finally, I want to come back to the details on this Saturday, Gentile, and make sure that we, I want to say Gentile, I hope that's fine. I, I, yes. Okay. Um, uh, uh, how, how um, let's go back to the details on the event so we get people in there to buy some work, which is the ultimate endorsement of, of artists is that they actually take their work, people buy it, take it home, put it on their walls. So uh, I, in terms of the substance of the work, um, is there anything uh, that you want to share, um, either one of you with us about how that has um, reflected what we've been going through? You can go. <laughs> what? That was a hard question. I'm sorry. So you, no, you're good. You're good. So you're saying how the substance of the work has reflected what was that? COVID, the, the, this, this 2020, the period. Uh, what we've been going through, um, both in terms of the health challenges, but also the social protests that we've been experiencing, and and the, the really negative. Um, we have to say, there's no getting away from it. Uh, impact that's been coming out of the White House. Yeah, I mean, it has. <laughs> I know, right? We have, that's a whole nother show. Right, right. You're going to have to get us back on. We'll do that. Saturday. Back on the details on Saturday. Let's close with that. Yes. So the details for Saturday. We're located here at 1712 Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard. In the event you need to get in contact with me directly, you can. You can email me at G Pedisclue, and that's P-E-D-E-S-C-L-E-A-U-X 
at ashenola.org. In the event you would like to come in and be a vendor, please feel free to contact me. And we are set up in our parking lot by our amazing mural at 1712 Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard, where you can find amazing artists like Jess, like Gasson, like Charlie V, and a host of others. So we would love for you all to come out and support. Do something different. Let's show these artists that we support them, that we're behind them, and that we're doing it for the culture. Let's try to do something a little bit different. A lot of us like shoes, bags, and purses. Let's, let's create a different type of narrative and start being a collector like myself and like a lot of other people because I guarantee you, it's definitely an investment. It is. It is. And when the computers crash and the internet goes out, you can look at your walls. Right. You can, you can, you can read. That's can a great stories on the wall. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Get on the wall. Perfect. And it's beautiful work, Jessica. It really is. Thank um, you. Thank you. Ladies, um, you you keep uh, you keep on keeping on. I appreciate everything you're doing. I know you've probably gotten some help from uh, uh, some folks. Any uh, thank yous that you want to put out there, Jantil? Uh, did the engage the culture people from the city help you get? The I would like to thank everybody who comes out. We have returned vendors. Not only do we have returned vendors, but we have returned shoppers. This is bigger than us. It's bigger mm -hmm. than us. I like to see the people in the neighborhood that are engaged, that come by to help and support on a weekly basis. So for that, I'm extremely grateful. I'm extremely grateful for the staff here at Ashen um, Cultural Arts Center who heavily supports us in this venture. And I would like to thank the whole city just for being who they are and continuing to be resilient. And I thank you for what you're doing. And I will be there Saturday and, and check yes. it out. I'd like to have uh, my home is filled with work by New Orleans artists. And I definitely need to, I don't need to, trust me, I have very little wall space left, but I will find something that I want. And, uh, bring your purse. Start hanging it on the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Good idea. Good idea. Yeah. Ladies, thank you so, so much. So I've been talking with um, Jessica. Um, I hear two different pronunciations for your name, uh, too. Strawn and Strahan. Which one do you use? Strahan? Long A. Long A. Strahan. Strahan. That's what I said. Okay, yeah. good. And um, I, I'm so happy to meet uh, Jean-Tiel. I was going to call you Jean-Tiel, if that's all right. Pettis Glow, and um, you come from a very creative family. Um, yes. I, I'm, I'm loving my Pettis Glow work that I have. Actually, hanging right behind me, I don't think you can see it, is, is um, one of Celie's jackets that she made. Whoops. I okay. don't... There it is. You see it in the corner? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a jacket I bought from Celie. And uh, we, not, we not only wear it, but we show it. So, Pettis um, Glow, that's a, that's a definite creative. Uh, um, uh, group in the city, group of folks. Thank you guys very, 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 very much. Welcome very, very much. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. And again, I'm sorry I did not tell the time. The time is from 12 until 4. I was just about 12 noon to 4 p.m. Thank you. Bring your purse. Bring your wallets. Yes. Or at least, or at least your money. All right. We're about to end our call. You all take care and listen. Be safe. Have a great holiday season, too. Y'all, too. Y'all, too. Well, the creatives have shared with you one way of responding to an epidemic, and that is by making their creative work available to you through an outdoor market, uh, which is a safe place to go and see and buy art. And we do encourage buying art. That is something that is a great way to give gifts without you know, the usual sweaters and vacuum cleaners and what have you. So uh, please consider that. But now we're going to hear from John Barry, who has a little bit more of a tough love message about dealing with epidemics, since he wrote the book about the Spanish flu that happened earlier in the 20th century. So um, tune in, stay, stay with us, listen to it. 
John Barry, who is the guy who um, wrote about the um, what is characterized as the Spanish flu, just as um, basically Trump tried to characterize this as the Chinese flu. Um, uh, we talked early on in this in this pandemic. I mean, in April, when I don't think anybody would have predicted it was gonna be this bad, but maybe John did, I, I don't remember anymore. But um, the question is, um, since then, how has your perspective of this particular pandemic changed? And how, again, has what you went through in your study of the prior epidemic informed what we're experiencing? So, you know, what's uh, your- Okay, first, first um, it was even by April, you were anybody, who understood infectious disease, understood what the virus was going to do. Uh, nobody anticipated a response as bad as we've gotten from the administration, nobody. So I would say that the virus has done considerably more damage than uh, has been expected in the United States. And then for that matter, in a lot of European countries, although they're not as bad as we are. Uh, by contrast, not just Asian countries like South Korea, you know, Japan, uh, Philippines, or not, not so much the Philippines, uh, you know. Korea. On, Korea. Yeah, well, I mentioned Korea, but, but also Australia, for, which is a culture very, very much like ours, has done so much better than we have uh, because they did things right and we did things stupidly and politicized something as simple as a mask. So to answer your first question, uh, the virus was predictable, human behavior was not predictable and uh, we've done worse than expected. Um, do you feel confident that the new administration can come into the middle of this mess and, um, and, and uh, be able to retrieve a, a strategic process that will correct it? Or, or well, we'll see. I mean, by, the Biden administration has very good people. Uh, I know, uh, I guess, of the dozen people on the, that transition task force. You know, I know personally, uh, you know, uh, three or four of them, a couple of them are pretty good friends. They're excellent people. They know what needs to be done. Uh, it still needs funding, which comes from Congress. It still needs cooperation, which comes from the states. Uh, you know, hopefully there'll be a lot more of that cooperation. Uh, when you have the bully pulpit saying what should be said, you know, we can be optimistic. And it re again, remains to be seen. It's going to depend on human behavior. Uh, whenever you're relying on a public health measure uh, that requires people to adhere to a certain behavior, then it's, it's up to the individual. And that depends on messaging convincing people to do what's right. We will see. So obviously the problem with messaging at this point is that now we're having to message against a message rather than put out a new message. That's a very different dynamic when you're trying to say, um, okay, ignore everything you heard from the previous administration about you don't need to mask and your freedom is more important than masking and, and all, all of the stuff that they put out there. Um, well, well, in a technical sense, you know, even the secretary of HHS under Trump, you know, the CDC people under Trump, the Surgeon General under Trump, they all said the right things. Uh, only Trump didn't say the right things. And it, it may not be as difficult as, as you might think. There may be a more cooperative spirit there, there's just so much that's unpredictable about this. You know, we can only help, you know, and you can always protect yourself. You can always take care of your own space, uh, whatever is going on. 
around you. So that's that. So, so um, on the other hand, questions. Have we passed some kind of a ticket tipping point where it no. is just so full no. blown we can't no. pull it back? No. no. Why do you say that? Well, you can always intervene. You know, there is, you can always stop stuff. Uh, it, it may, in terms of contact tracing, you know, that, that's, uh, that becomes a problem as you get into large numbers. So the contact tracing, which was never very good in Louisiana, although elsewhere in the country, it has been pretty good. Uh, that may be unattainable as the numbers get larger. Uh, but the rest of the interventions, if you get people paying attention to them, uh, then you can stop things reasonably abruptly, not in a couple of days, but you can slow things down in a few weeks. So, um, uh, people out there, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm, 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 supposing that more people now know somebody who got COVID and more people know somebody who got COVID and either got really sick or died than sometime before. So one would also hope that now there are more people realizing that this, this is the real deal. This is not some, you know, fake um, uh, yeah. thing. And so, obviously, it's gotten a lot worse since the election rather than, you know, Trump was predicting that it would disappear from the news we, cycle. We were turning the corner. There's yeah, been a lot of corner turning. Well, it's, it's not just that. He claimed that the media would stop paying attention to it after the election. It's been the reverse uh, because the case count is skyrocketed. Uh -huh. yeah. I remember in July, I wrote an op-ed in the in the New York Times, and which got a lot of attention because I was said, pandemic could get much, much worse. And at that point, I was, uh, you know, quoting a model which projected 150,000 cases a day if we uh, if we didn't change our behavior. And of course, right now, 150,000 cases a day looks looks pretty good since we're over 200,000 cases a day in yeah. most days uh, and may get worse. Uh, uh, I don't know that you're the, I don't know that you're the expert to ask this question, but um, um, is is the virus morphing a lot? Is it I don't know what the right word is for. There's no real indication of that. There is, you know, it does mutate, doesn't mutate okay. anything like influenza in terms of speed. Uh, it's there may have been a mutation that made it more transmissible. That's actually uh, still uh, controversial. Uh, whether it did or didn't make it more transmissible. Um, there's certainly no indication that it'll become more virulent, thank God. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it, it changes. But so, right now, <laughs> those changes don't seem to affect certainly its virulence and even the transmissibility. Maybe it ticked up a little bit, maybe not. So, John, to, uh, I have a couple other areas I want to touch on in a short period of time. So let me um, almost move on, but close this uh, chapter by asking you, um, what, what do you right this moment feel? Um, if you have a key projection back then, you projected, you know, that it was going to get a lot worse. What's your projection now with the new administration in play and uh, the people that you were commenting on that are competent and and uh we'll, we'll we'll call it as it is and not make up stories uh, what's your what's your prediction right now for the for the path that we're on well that we will be on with the new administration of course that's a long time from now and if you're talking about an excess of two hundred thousand cases a day it still comes down to human behavior uh, the administration can do the right things. Every can do everything right. If they don't get public compliance, then we are in for it still. Uh, I think they will. I think there'll be a, a spirit of cooperation and optimism when they come in. Uh, there is when every president comes in, even when Trump uh, entered office, there was 
you know, I wouldn't exactly call it a honeymoon. You had protests right at the inauguration. Uh, but his approval rating really was about as high as it got in the entire presidency uh, in the, you know, immediately upon inauguration. Uh, Biden's approval rating is already, you know, quite a bit higher than Trump's ever got to. Uh, so if he comes in with widespread support, you know, he says that he'll mandate masks where there's federal territory and interstate commerce or travel at any rate, uh, and ask for support elsewhere. You know, that's a different approach and I hope it'll be successful. Remains to be seen. You know, I can't resist. I, I, I wanted to close this section off and get to the others. I may have to push one of those conversations to a, another a, a interview, but uh, I can't resist asking the question. Um, uh, there's 74 million people out there who think Biden did not win. Um, there's a big question. Well, as unfortunately, how that's not true. 74 million voted for Trump and a large majority of Republicans uh, think that Biden didn't win, but not all of the 74 million are Republicans. And, uh, you know, I don't know the number who think Biden didn't win. Right. We don't really know. And also the poll uh, pollsters are saying that even the people who say that they don't think Biden win, it's it's not really clear that that's truly what they believe as opposed to what they're saying. So who knows? But um, I think that the, the underlying question, and I keep asking myself this, is what do we have to do? And you're, you're such a good messenger on uh, not just the flu, the epidemic, but also in terms of talking about what's happening uh, environmentally um, in, in our state, in Louisiana and elsewhere, um, this, you know, we're not messaging well to the people who are voting for Trump. We're not messaging well to them. We're, we're not showing that we really care about and are interested in their views. And I think a lot of people are just chalking it up to racism. And I don't think that's the only issue. I think it has a lot to do with the sense of abandonment in the economy and their, their closing opportunities in the economy. So if you had to do a sort of, it's the economy stupid type slogan that- um, No, I'm the wrong person to ask that kind of thing. I write books. <laughs> I don't come well, up what with would you say? What would you say is the message that you you must think about this too, John. What what is it that we need to do to to open up the communications and open up the minds of people who have been um, digesting the message from Trump? Well, part of it is listening, and part of it, you know, I think Biden certainly is is reaching out. You know, I think the defund the police stuff was very hurtful to the uh, prospects or to what happened in the Democratic Party yeah. and why the Democrats didn't take the Senate and so forth. Uh, you know, I'm, I think Biden's doing a very good job. I do think that there was, would be, and it shouldn't come from Biden, but there should be a lot more pushback, I think, on Trump's claims. I wish somebody would do it, but it's gotta come from a Republican really. Be great if George W. Bush stood up. And it would be great uh, if the media stop repeating his message all the time. And uh, my husband observed. Well, they always they they do say that you know these are false claims. But anyway, they, they have begun yeah. to say that it's true. But they still put out the message. Uh, but my husband did comment this morning that this was the first uh, front page of the New York Times he's seen in a long time that did not have the name Trump on it. So hopefully that's a bellwether of what's to come. Let me move on for a minute and capture your thoughts on um, the Biden administration regarding infrastructure and whether their his commitment to infrastructure is more real than um, uh, obviously it, it turned out that the only wall, and there was a cartoon of this of Handelsman this morning, the only wall that Trump built was between the different factions in our society rather than the real one that he wanted to build. But he didn't do infrastructure. And we're hoping that Biden does. I think Biden's, you know, I think that's real, very real, because uh, 
that's one way to get the economy going and start spending money on projects that need to be done. The question is, what happens in Congress? He needs the appropriations. Uh, in terms of specifically Louisiana, you do have Cedric Richmond in the White House. Uh, and Scalise in Congress. Frankly, Congress. well, I don't know how helpful that is, frankly. If, no. In the House. Uh, I, but Scalise I, and I, Richmond I, apparently have a friendship, and maybe that crossed. Well, I know uh, when Scalise was part. accused of being a racist at one point. Uh, I know Richmond stood up for him. So I mean that he was the first uh, one to visit him in the hospital after his shooting, too. Okay, that that I didn't remember. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you're going to get any Republican votes outside of the Louisiana congressional delegation. That's right for any infrastructure. I, I don't think Scalise is gonna be whipping votes among his colleagues or for us. Uh, but let me put it this way, what would you suggest? I, I, I do have to go. Uh, let me just ask one last question. What would you suggest to Richmond, let's say he's in the White House and he can help us or to the Biden administration that we in Louisiana need desperately to deal with climate change and rising oceans, loss of wetlands, um, you know, increasing hurricanes and so forth. What to you is the... You know, the CPRA has a plan out there. It's always been a problem funding it. I've always, you know, I never thought we were going to succeed in getting, you know, that funded from the federal government. You know, maybe you can get some projects going. Uh, I mean, that's why... You know, I had, you know, the levy, my colleagues on the on the levy board uh, and I decided to sue uh, the industry, which did a significant part of the damage. Uh, Where does that stand right now? By know, well, there are 11 uh, Paris lawsuits or did I say 11? Not that many. I don't think there are, you know, quite a few Paris lawsuits that are that are out there that are, you know, moving their way through the court system. And we will see, but I, re I really do have to go. Okay. Um, John, I really appreciate your time and uh, I'll have to catch you on the next interview to talk more about John, the author in New Orleans, which is um, something I wanna know about uh, and we'll do that okay. another time. Thank okay. you so much for making yourself well, Okay, you take right. care. Thank you. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it some good information, maybe a little fun. And um, I wanted to let you know that we have a newsletter that goes out just in advance of the show. You can sign up for it simply by going to crosstownconvos at gmail.com. And uh, it's got a lot more stuff in it, a lot more articles and images and uh, information on the guests who are on. So um, think about it, sign up if you'd like. Um, Gene Nathan for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK, what people are talking about.